0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire podcast network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, randy newberg and Corey jacobson after the hunt learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like hank shaw and jamie tagen whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it outdoor class will take your skills up a notch use code empire20 at checkout to save 20 percent
0: off visit outdoorclass.com to learn more interstate batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Carter, Caleb, and Perry from Hunt, Lift, Eat. And these guys fall all over the spectrum when it comes to their experience in the outdoors and hunting out west. Um, for, For a couple of them, they're just getting into it. They've only been at it a couple seasons. And so no matter where you guys fall, I think this is going to be a good episode for everyone to listen to. A lot of takeaways are going to come from this one, and I'm really excited. And I'm just excited to see how their seasons are going so far. So let's jump into this episode with Carter, Caleb, and Perry. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the
2: challenges.
3: Hunting is completely different up there.
2: I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't
1: fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way.
2: It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Perry Caleb and carter all from hunt lift eat i'm wearing their shirt i mean is that tacky guys to wear your shirt on a podcast with you
4: (laughs) i think it's great branding great branding brilliant brilliant well
1: the the whole reason i did it i was like man i'm gonna i've got a guy working on uh editing my podcast for youtube and so i'm like people might actually see it like I wouldn't feel as weird if people weren't going to see it but now they will and they're going to be like Dan's one of those douchey guys that wears his own band's t-shirt to his concert <laughs> um <laughs> but thanks for hopping on uh for starters why don't you guys share a little bit about yourself maybe the brand how you guys all got connected
4: sure you want to kick it off Perry
2: yeah man um so yeah Perry Osner uh, I'm a uh... I'm a I'm an East Coast dude, um, born and raised in North Carolina and spent a lot of time in Southwest Virginia as well. Um, that's where my family's originally from. Um, my cousin, Luke Cox, is actually the one who started Hunt Lift Deep a few years back. Um, Luke is uh, active duty army and he's actually deployed right now. Um, hence why he's not um, not been able to join us for these couple recordings that we've done with you, Dan. But um yeah, Luke started the company. Um, you know, he he first pitched it to me and my brother, the three of us, you know, we grew up super tight and um you know we we loved it and uh it, it's kind of snowballed from there it's been it's been a fun ride um he he started reaching out to some you know some other buddies um got hooked up with carter via social media a few years back uh carter and luke have a lot in common they're both both history nerds and um <laughs> carter's carter's uh carter's come along for the ride and, and uh
4: Yeah, so like Perry said, I I met Perry through Hunt Lifted as well, and, uh, you know, I live in North Georgia, Um, went to college here in North Georgia, and live on a small farm with my wife here, and uh, chase a lot of whitetail around here, and have recently dipped my toes into Western hunting, Um, and as you know, Dan, it's easy to become obsessed with with the world of, of Western hunting, and, you know, my big thing is I love hunting in new places I've never been before, and experiencing new things. Uh that's kind of what I constantly am, am chasing and, and hunting with new people. And this has opened up an unbelievable amount of doors uh, as I get to talk with guys like you and other people who are passionate about the outdoors. Um and so I'm the podcast producer for um Hunt Lift Eat. And that's what I got brought on board for. And you know, Perry and I have now become really good hunting partners together. And uh Luke, once he gets his ass back stateside, uh get to be able to hunt with him again. Hopefully this this late whitetail season I think he'll get back in December um and yeah yeah I got brought on board with the company and then we brought we brought our 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 last of our trio here Caleb on board and and he's with us and he's don't let him fool you he's honestly the most experienced out of the three of us so yeah
3: I'm gonna pretend you never said that so that way that bar's not (laughs) not that high I'm gonna bring that bar (laughs) down a little bit man uh but anyways like carter said my name is caleb bell i live here in colorado i'm actually coming to you from one of my actual day job offices in uh good old douglas wyoming so it's a little bit different scene for me today but yep born and raised in colorado spent a little bit of time out in california going through college Uh, i've hunted my entire life since the time i was six to where i am now you know chasing western game whether it's mule deer or elk primarily bear Everything and anything that Colorado has to offer. For the first time in my life, I've actually got a Colorado whitetail tag in my pocket. So that's kind of cool. Um, I was introduced to Hunt Lifty probably two and a half, three years ago. I just found the brand and I really love the ethos that Luke's was pushing out there through messaging on Instagram. You know, him and I had chit chatted for a couple of years and then the team applications came in and I, uh, I jumped right on board. And next thing you know, here I am. I am helping out with all of their marketing special events. So, Any of the expos, you guys will be seeing me there. I'll be helping Carter produce podcasts during the expos. Come talk to me, say hi. I actually kind of got introduced into this side of the outdoor industry through a company called Incline Productions. I'm a cameraman, so we film and produce outdoor television shows and outdoor hunting stuff too. So man, when it comes down to it, I just, I live outside. If I'm not here in an office like I am right now, I am outside. It's kind of killing me. I should be chasing whitetails. I'm getting updates on my cell cams right now
1: about the deer that are in the fields. And I'm like, oh. It's hunting season. But. Well, speaking of whitetail season, how many of you are in an active whitetail season right now?
4: Yeah, it's it's opened up here in Georgia, Denver too, or Colorado too, and and North Carolina, right, Perry? All of us.
2: Yeah. yeah I have
4: what? I haven't been hunting yet, though. I I don't know what I've been doing, but I haven't been outside yet.
2: Get I'm on old. it, man.
4: I know. Well, I went to I went to Hawaii. You know, small flex there. I went access hunting in Hawaii, which was. A pretty cool way to kick off the season, but uh, I haven't really? been—I haven't been whitetail hunt yet.
1: How how's Hawaii, that go?
4: Yeah, Hawaii was sick. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was, did you get a was, deer? I did. Yeah, I—I I got a nice axis buck. Uh, it was a crazy, crazy hunt, man. I—I I reconnected with a buddy from college, and he was like, "You want to go?" And I was like, "I am a high school teacher. I like—I don't think I can go." And he's like, "No, nah, it's actually like pretty affordable." I was like, all right, let's look at it. And uh, it was, I mean, the expensive part is just getting out there and, you know, we did it unguided and, uh, you know, much like you, you guys, I would imagine we're we're happy to sleep wherever. It uh, doesn't need to be the four seasons hotel. So uh, no problem there. And uh, I mean, yeah, we just got to chase these things and it was the craziest. I felt like I was hunting on Mars. It was the craziest landscape I've ever seen. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can imagine that'd be a wild place to actually get out and pursue game animals. Um, My wife really wants to go to Hawaii for our tenure. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to, Yeah. I started researching all the different things I could hunt, fish. I really want to go spearfish. Like that's, that yeah. moved its way pretty high to, on my bucket list. And I feel like that'd be a lot of fun, but I'm like, dude, I'll get her some Malibu and Coke set her on the beach and I'll go hunt and yep. fish. It sounds like a 100%. perfect trip.
2: Yeah,
4: let's talk. Let's let's talk details cuz when it got hot during the middle part of the day we would go spear fishing in the Pacific and uh you know, take a couple beers down the beach and then saunter back and go hunt for the afternoon and you know, there was there's black buck, there's axis, there's all sorts of things that you can hunt. A ton of invasive species over there that you can hunt that have just run rampant so well we can talk details, Dan, for sure. I'll get you squared away.
1: I'm all about it. Caleb, you were showing me a picture of a monster or a video of a monster whitetail. That's is that like it? Is that the only one you're gonna shoot, or would you take something else if it popped out?
3: Oh, it's, it's tough to say. So it's kind of cool in Colorado when you jump into the eastern side of the state, you can get a Plains archery tag, which is almost a three-month-long season. So I started October 1st for archery. that's um, got a two. It's got three one week breaks in between each month. So I can hunt all the way to the end of October. It takes like seven days off and then all the way to the end of November, seven days off, and then all the way to the end of December 31st. So it's kind of crazy. But what's cool about Colorado is we've got mule deer and whitetail on the Eastern Plains. So my tag is just a deer tag. Whichever one comes out first is the one that I get to kill. And quite frankly, I've got a mule deer that I call splits. He's on the He's on the up and up. He's going to be pushing 200. He's a, he's a wicked buck. There's a 180 inch to 185 inch mainframe three by five. That's another mule deer that I'm kind of tweening towards. And I've got another white tail. that's probably 150 plus his name's pancake. Cause he looks like he ran into a freaking parked car with his face. He's got to be at least like a seven or eight year old deer. He's cool. Split brows, real good, beautiful eight point. And then that buck that showed up randomly. And like I said, I found that buck actually in 2019. I've got videos of him, but I haven't seen him yet this year. And when it comes to spending time on the ground, like I am out there every hour, every minute. I got trail cams everywhere, and and I spend a lot of time with these deer. For me not to see him, I freaked out when I saw him on trail cam October 2nd. I was like, holy shenanigans. It's tough.
1: that buck is a tank and it sounds like you've got a really tough life. We all feel pretty bad for you that you have all these monster bucks to choose from. Um, you should feel really bad for me. It's, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> Perry, what's North Carolina been like? Have you been getting out?
2: Yeah, man. I've, uh, I've been out. Let's see. I've been out every weekend the past three weeks. Um, North Carolina's season opened up back in mid September and Virginia opened up first of archery, so that those are the two states I hunt primarily in. Um, I've had a ton of really close encounters. Um, hunted a couple of new properties this year here in North Carolina. Um, haven't haven't killed any deer yet, but it, it was uh, it was cool. I kind of I kind of got to to cross one off the bucket list. One of the properties that I hunt here in North Carolina is kind of in the Piedmont of the state. Um, it's on a big, a big river system and there's some big, um, kind of some big bottom land floodplain type areas down there. And it's, it's got a lot of, uh, feral hogs actually. And so I went out, um, a couple of weeks ago for a, for a Friday evening sit after work and, um, didn't see any deer, but ended up seeing about a dozen, a dozen or more feral hogs and, uh, ended up smoking one at about 30 yards, um, with my bow, which is actually only my, my second bow kill ever. I, I'm a pretty, uh, pretty new bow hunter. So that was, it was cool, man. It was, uh, it was not what I was expecting. I went out, it was started as a deer hunt, but it quickly changed to a, to a hog hunt, was able to stick a pig. So that was fun.
1: That's awesome. I, I feel like anytime you're out hunting and a coyote or a pig walks through, it immediately turns into a coyote or a pig hunt. Like it doesn't matter what you've got a tag for, for some reason, like predators and, uh, like pests, problem species, they're just fun to hunt. And I, yeah, I'll give up a full night
2: of whitetail hunting just to shoot a couple of coyotes. For sure. It's like you say, they're considered a nuisance, uh, you know, here there's, there's no season, no, you know, no bag limit, no nothing. And, and this property, you know, it's, it's actually a, uh, it's a land trust that owns the property and they do this, this little lottery deal where you, you sign up to be a member and you get, you get put in for some lottery entries. And I, I was able to draw this property and going into it. I knew there were pigs out there, but like I said, I went in trying to kill a deer was, uh, was pushing my way through this really thick, nasty bottom land stuff, And ended up having a huge pig come up like 10 yards on me and I I just heard something behind me turn around just saw this big massive black shape and I was like holy shit that's a pig and uh (laughs) kind of caught me off guard but um yeah like I said ended up seeing a bunch more hogs that night and was able to put one down so that it was fun that's sweet
1: what what's the whitetail rut situation in each of your states because I know there's like a big chunk of the country where beginning of November, late October, maybe even into mid-November is like the whitetail rut. I didn't realize how different it was as you get out like towards the coast or even deeper into the south. So when does the whitetail rut really kick off for you guys?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll start for me. Most of my hunting is in, is in the mountains of um, Virginia, North Carolina, or, or the Piedmont of North Carolina through, through this land trust and some of their properties. Um, You are right. uh, As you, as you move further East and and South, um, those rut seasons do get pushed back. For me, it's typically that kind of standard. um, You know, they really, they've, they've really started scraping, been seeing a ton of scrapes and rubs out there right now, the past, past couple of weeks, they've really started doing that, picking it up and you know we really start to get into that pre-rut behavior pretty soon here and expect to be in kind of full full rut mode um, come come early to to mid-November and so that's that's generally kind of what it looks like for me. Yeah
4: Georgia's kind of complicated too which I didn't really realize I thought it was going to be more of a kind of a blanket set of dates Um, but Georgia DNR does a good job putting out uh, they put out a, a rut map which is I think they spent every dollar they had on this map, interactive map, on their website. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like the only thing that functions on that website. But like if you go all the way to the coast, like where the barrier islands are, uh, they have the rut happening, they say it's going to happen uh, October 13th through the 19th. So like it's here, right? And there's some cool quota hunts that you can put in for down there um, and on some of the barrier islands like Sapelo Island where they you have to take a ferry across and no one really lives over there, but it's a big uh, controlled hunt. But up here where I live, uh, we're going to be looking at like November 10th to the 16th. And then I hunt up in the mountains a little further north uh, where I went to school. Uh, And that'll be a little later. it will be like the 20th to the 30th or something like that. So there is some variability uh, like Perry was talking about more so than I would have anticipated. It also all could be wrong. Like, I don't know, I'm going to hunt as much as I can regardless. So like,
1: if i'm there then i'm there you know hold on are you saying that a government agency could be wrong about something
4: (laughs) no kidding it's just like we haven't had any rain for like 50 years here and i planted all these food plots hasn't rained since the day (laughs) i planted them a freaking hurricane came and i was supposed to get 10 days of rain and zero rain it's like a meteorologist is like the highest paid gambler in the world and uh (laughs) you know no rain so like yeah 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 i'm with you. you gotta be in the woods to kill something you know
1: yeah That's, that's awesome. Uh, Caleb, what about for you? Have you started seeing rutting activity or when can you expect to? Yeah,
3: so it's a, we're definitely starting to see the pre-rut stuff here, which it's, it's kind of unique for, like I said, I'm at because I deal with mule deer and whitetail all within a five mile range of my house. So it's kind of cool. The whitetail, I'm starting to see a lot of pre-rut activity. Bucks are starting to split up, starting to push does. They're getting a little more postured up. So I'd look at seeing that rut really starting to kick off here in the next two weeks. Um, Usually I see it get really aggressive around that first week of November. And that's when I start picking up broken horns and stuff off the road and and find stuff like that. So they're pretty feisty right around that time. The mule deer, it's all about the temperature change, but I won't see those guys starting rut till the end of November, usually that third to fourth week of November timeframe. And periodically, well, historically, Colorado's prime year, deer hunting for real deer is usually that Thanksgiving weekend. If you can get in around that fourth late rifle, uh, rifle season, that's, that's prime time.
1: That's good to know. I I'll be out there. I'll be coming out there. Uh, gosh, only in like two weeks, I think. Yeah. Two weeks from yesterday. Um, and I'm super pumped about it, but it's always interesting trying to figure out when to plan hunts. Uh, but I like the fact that there's ruts that or the rut hits different times all over the country. And from what I understand, there's spots down in Florida where it doesn't like really kick in till January. And I I can't imagine. Like there's those dudes that chase waterfowl from Canada all the way down to Mexico. Imagine just chasing the whitetail rut all the way around the country, like having two months of prime rutting activity.
3: Yeah, if you do it right, you can actually chase mule deer in Arizona, coos deer during the rut in Arizona, and that could be your very first hunt of the year around that December 25th through January, like 10th time frame, And they're in the middle of the rut. Then you just keep on going throughout the year. So, I mean, you could really, really dive into it and hunt an aggressive rut season on deer throughout the States.
1: Man, that sounds sweet. I've, I honestly, I can't say that I've had a ton of success hunting the rut. Like it's fun. I definitely see the most action and activity. But as far as like kills go, I don't seem to take many target bucks during the rut. And I, I feel like one big part of that here in Missouri, at least, is because the neighboring property has a really amazing river bottom and it connects like all of the ag fields for three miles. And I'll have all the bachelor bucks hanging out right in front of my trail camera every single night for like six hours they're feeding they're showing up during daylight and then as soon as the rut hits they're gone and i'll catch i'll catch them like chasing does but i really feel like they're using that river system to go and check doe bedding areas across you know 15 different properties
4: Do y'all have a set of dates or like a date or two that are like your Either superstition or because of past data points, but like your historical dates that you have to be in the woods for. Cause like I'm with you, Dan. Like I don't know how successful that government website is going to be, but I've got, I've got a couple days. Like, you know, mine are November 4th and November 5th. That's like historically have been two very good days for me. I don't know if that happens to anybody else. Is that, is that a thing for y'all?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm at November 3rd and 4th. Those are the two best days. And November 3rd, we've killed, I think, the most bucks on. We had, we had a three-year stretch where we killed four bucks all on that morning. And it was all on the same property. And I never put any stock in it. Like, until I heard a, a podcast, I think it was with one of the breweries talking about looking at past trail camera photos. And they're like, be in the woods. If you have your big buck during daylight on, you know, October 20th, be out there the next year october 19th 20th and 21st because there was a good chance he shows back up and i was like no there's no way there's no way and as soon as i got off that pod or quit listening to it i hopped on my c- computer looked at all of the years past and i'm like holy crap dude these guys are wizards i don't know how they figured this out how long it took them but uh yeah now i don't miss november 3rd and 4th perry caleb
2: yeah, for for me, I don't even know. It, there's something about that um, that Halloween time frame. It's like I feel like in the mountains we always get. Um, it, it feels like there's always a cold front. I mean, I know that's not always the case, but I just I'm thinking back the past several years. Um, it feels like Halloween is always chilly, and and it just seems like um, you know a lot of people put put you know put a lot of stock in the moon. Um, and what it's typically doing around that time frame, which, you know, I don't know how much I buy into it, but it, it's one of those deals where if it, you know, if it, if the conditions are right and you get that cold front that moves in, um, at least prior to me having small children and having the, the, the trick or treating obligations that, that come along with that, um, that's always desirable. And then, yeah, like you say that, that, um, that, that like first, that first, uh, that first weekend of November, because, you know, the reality is for me, you know, I've got the I've got a, I've got a nine to five that keeps me pretty busy Monday through Friday. Um, but that first Saturday in November is all, always the target day. And then honestly, man, Thanksgiving, you know, Thanksgiving has just been a family tradition of ours on the farm. Um, I've I've actually seen a lot of a lot of uh, of rutting activity right around that Thanksgiving day. You know, it's kind of on the tail end of it but it seems like there's always still a couple of does that are still hot around that time frame. So, you know, you go eat Turkey with the family and then try to get out of there as fast as you can and go grab the rifle. Cause you know, typically in, or in, in uh, Virginia, which is, which is where we usually spend Thanksgiving, it's rifle season then. So you go grab the gun and you try to get out there and, and it's, it's almost inevitable that you're going to see some, some bucks somewhere still pushing one of those, those does that are kind of coming in a little bit late
1: thanksgiving is such a great day to hunt because like you're just completely oh, yeah. stuffed you might just pass out out in the woods get a nap in everybody's expecting you to be hunting but um and also halloween I what i've found works really well if my wife's got stuff planned for her and the kids like going around and doing something at their school or at a church or trick-or-treating through a neighborhood all i have to do is show up all decked out in camo and i'm like a hunter for halloween right so i show up a little bit late i'm already in costume i don't have to stop anywhere or
2: change yep my, my daughter asked me that just the other night she's like daddy what are you gonna be for halloween i said i'm gonna be the same thing i am every year a deer hunter <laughs> <laughs> street killer yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's good oh that's funny man
3: for me it's always been uh, august 15th through december 31st every day in there that ends with a y So there's really nothing in in particular that's important. (laughs) No, uh, I think one of my favorite days, and I think I'm just a little bit more particular about it, September 18th. Uh, that's one of those days that's always going to be now stuck forever in my head and I'll hunt September 18th every time because I killed that giant bull over there. So it's kind of stuck in my brain after that. Um, again, I'm 31 years old. So obviously November 1st, because after October 31st, I've got this pile of candy and snacks from the woods. So November 1st is a must. So I got to go out and trick or treat. Just got to get after that. But man, honestly, if I can find myself in the woods any day and every day of the week, I'll do it. I don't have anything in particular, not a certain religious day that just always produces for me because at the end of the day, they all just start to blend together. I'm lucky enough in that aspect, especially with where I live in Colorado. Like I'm 45 minutes from everything or I'm five minutes from some of the best hunting around.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, I, I agree. I don't, there's not like a day where I'm, I'm like, Hey, I'll give up the rest of this week so that I can go out and hunt this day. If I've got a day open, I'm going to be out in the woods. And thankfully I've got a wife who I've conditioned over the years to uh, allow me to go and do that. Um, but when, when it comes to like Western hunting, have you, have you noticed any like trends or patterns? Is there, or if you have trail cameras, like, out on public land for elk have you noticed anything like that with with elk do they come back like year after year same day same time um I've never
3: really noticed anything same year same time now I will say if you can find a honey hole for instance you find a nice area where elk seems somewhat comfortable I find them year and year and year year after right I've got a spot on the western slope of Colorado that I absolutely hate hunting but it's kind of always been my go-to and I was in a miserable place this year at 12,000 feet, not really seeing anything. And I drove halfway across the state and ended up in my honey hole. And I had 15 bulls and one draw in the first night. And that next day I was on a 330 class six point. So, I mean, there's always a, a go-to place that I think produces elk that you can always find them. Same thing with deer and same thing with, uh, well, any deer at that point. It's never necessarily about the same animal over and over again. It's about finding the, the patterns in the areas where they like, especially with elk because they migrate so much. And a mule deer, I mean, shoot, I think they found that doe in Wyoming that traveled like thousands of miles one year during the rut just for chits and giggles because she didn't have anything better to do with her life, apparently. She wasn't as conditioned. Um, <laughs> but no, for me, the the big bucks, there's always a reputable pattern, especially when it comes to weather and time frame. Weather and time for and as the hotter it's been here in Colorado, everything's changed. You know, uh, this year's been really unique for elk, for the fact that I didn't get into bugles until the last week. Uh, not very normal for us out here. A lot of people had the same thing, but then other sides of the state, they were popping off left and right. So it's kind of curious to see what it's going to do the deer this year too. But we'll see.
1: Yeah, I like I like what you said about you know you you find those honey holes where there's going to be big beer big deer or big bulls each year. And there's something instinctual about like finding that right spot that the deer just feels safe. Um, And when you kill a bull that, you know, that might be his bed, like out on a point with his back, like with the wind coming over his back, every, every animal out there, like has that same instinct or that same sense where it's like, Hey, this is just a safe spot. And that's one thing we learned out in Colorado uh, hunting elk. Like we found big bulls in this one area and we just knew like, Hey, we're going to come back here next year and hopefully we'll get on one. And now we hunt, we like try to branch out throughout the week. And then as we get closer to the end of season, we're like, okay, we know we can go back here and kill a bull. Let's go ahead and, and, and dive in now. But I feel like trying to find more and more of those places instead of relying on only one is where, where we spend a good chunk of our time knowing that will come in last day or second to last day and get something.
3: Same here, man. It's trying to branch out and finding new hunting areas in Colorado that just aren't over pressured is tough. You know, we're one of the most sought after hunting states in the United States, in my opinion. And it's just one of those things that it's hard to get away from other hunters. But when you find the place and you dive into it year and year and again, you you end up learning the pattern of the elk or pattern of the deer that go through there. Um, I I think a great example of this is I posted some pictures a couple of weeks ago, I think of some mule deer beds that I found on a hillside. People don't realize like those mule deer beds might've been around for a century. There might've been a thousand different bucks that have called that bed home, but that bed has been ingrained in their genetics and just ingrained throughout that entire species in that area. So it's not about finding the same buck year after year. It's about finding that area where it produces deer year after year same thing with the elk I got lucky you know um, I killed that bull less than half a mile from where I found him the year before every now and then you get lucky and that happens don't get me wrong it does but typically I see more so of a patternable area and a patternable terrain elevation and and type of ground really that's where I, I try to focus on especially during the season
1: All across the country, rifle season is upon us or quickly approaching. Whether I'm hunting hogs and whitetail in Texas or mule deer and elk in the Rocky Mountains, I've got a do-it-all rifle system. I've taken a Browning Hells Canyon Speed in 6.5 Creedmoor and topped it with Vortex's precision-matched rings and a Viper PST2 5-25x50 first focal plane scope. If you're looking for increased accuracy, an unmatched warranty, or just to start building your own all-season rifle, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, I really want to test that theory, Caleb, because it, it reminds me of a very specific encounter that Luke and I had um, last year in Colorado, actually, we, uh, I went out there and we, we had, um, we were chasing the antelope, um, in the Eastern part of the state, um, you know, relatively early season. And, and it was, it was exactly like you say, we, we, uh, we're, we're walking up this, this, uh, this large, you know, kind of hillside looking for antelope and ended up jumping up this really nice mule deer buck. And we look, I mean, we got within 60 yards of him before he jumped up and bounded off. And I, you know, dude, I've only been, you know, I've only been out to Colorado once, but I can take you right back to where that buck was bitted down. And when, when we looked at it after the fact, it was those perfect conditions. He had the wind at his back. He had the thermals in his face, um, as the, as the sun was coming up that morning, uh, right on the side of this, um, you know, this real large kind of ridge top, um, with the little kind of right at the, the top of this, this little ravine. And man, we, we were not <laughs> expecting it at all. We were, we had antelope on the mind and man it was a it was a nice buck and we're sitting there watching him just bound off into the distance going dude that was a that was a tank of an eastern Colorado mule deer and I want to put that theory to the test and go back to that spot (laughs) with those same conditions and see if there's another buck bedded there
3: I never used to give any mind to it honestly until there was a uh, Eastman's hunting episode I don't remember how long ago it was but he was getting in on a buck, and he was tucked up under some brush. Under some brush, and he never saw the buck actually blow out when he got in there. This buck had the brush so hollowed out that it was like a little cave. That doesn't just happen in a day. That doesn't just. That's not just a place that this deer picked to go to sleep. Like this is some place that they go to repetitively because they know, like you're saying, they can have the thermals in their face. They can have uh, the sun off of them, whatever it may be. It's such a repetitive place for them to go. And then uh, the owner of Incline Productions, he started talking to me about it. And I just, ever since then, I've nerded out on patterns, terrain, and where to find them consistently. And that's really what drives, in my opinion, drives your success. That and time that you can spend in the woods.
1: Man, that's that's encouraging because we saw a lot this year. I've never gone out with my bow for mule deer. And I guess I still haven't. I took a friend of mine out on her first mule deer hunt this year. And we got into this spot, we were in like this giant horseshoe canyon, like Rimrock on one side, real close to Rimrock on the other, but it was more like sandy, like you could climb up it like on hands and knees, almost. Um, But we watched these bucks and it was like one by one, it was like they were commuting to work and like they all worked at like one patch of trees, right? Like one at a time, they just like split off and they disappear. And we saw seven of them do that. And I'm like, dude, that's all within like 400 yards of each other. If we get over there, we could get on these bucks. But to see their beds, like once we actually walked up on them, it was exactly what you're talking about. Like you could tell it had been years and years of deer bedding in the same area. In fact, the one that she got closest to was she stalked it to 15 yards. There was this little finger of trees that came down off the ridge. And right in the middle of it, there was a path. Like it looks like somebody cut out a walking path in there and we just happened to look over and see this buck spinning around and then it bedded down. And so she, she crawls over to it, 15 yards, gets drawn back, stands up. And even once she stood up, it was so low from all the years and all the times of getting in that bed that she could only get a shot at the back of its head. And so she had to like, well, it, she held it draw And she was hoping that it would stand up and look at her, but it just turned its head from a bedded position and then full speed ahead straight from bedded. And we walked over there and I'm like, there's no way, like I, I thought 100% you were going to shoot this buck. And she's like, no, it was like down in this dip. It was like this much lower, you know, like a foot and a half lower than what I thought it would be. And yeah, when we walked over there, you could tell it was just like, just like a path or like a cattle trail where, you know, a thousand footprints have now dug a trench through the valley. That's what this little bed looked like.
3: And if anybody out there is ever like questioning these things, I I advise you to find one in the middle of the day when it's hot out and sit in it. That was the best nap I think I've had this entire season, (laughs) because that, that dirt had to be like 15 degrees colder than everywhere else around it in the shade. But when you really dive into it, I mean, these are giant furry animals wandering around all day. They don't want to be hot. They're just like us and the way the weather is here in Colorado. I don't know how it is going out east and stuff for you guys, but it's been so warm that that cool dirt, that little patch of dirt, that little patch of heaven for these guys is, (laughs) it's where they go. It's where you can find them at. Same thing too, on the walking paths. Carter, do you see a lot of that down south? Do you see a lot of really heavy walking paths and, and corridors that they consistently travel through?
4: Yeah. I mean, you'll see the, you'll see the heavily traveled corridors and paths for sure. I think the difference is there's a lot less traipsing around looking for animals and more you're hunting, you know, bedding areas and where you think they're gonna be based on, you know, a, a number of different factors rather than, you know, my experience in Wyoming, it's like, oh, those are the Bighorn Mountains, go find a deer somewhere in there, right? Whereas <laughs> like here, it's like, oh, I have 65 acres you know, I got to be smart about this. I'm I'm not going to be stomping around looking for, you know, that that kind of stuff. Like I'm trying to avoid bedding areas and catch them going to and from those bedding areas. Um, but when we were in the Bighorns, we, we came across a, a mule deer bed and I was like, uh, I'd never seen one before. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt, that's exactly what it was when I saw it, just based on what you've already described. So yeah, you'll still see those travel areas for sure. It's a great place to you know, you want to put them in that highway right there. It's a great place to to put a hang on stand. Um, but I try to stay away from those those bedding areas, especially now early season and until it's until it's game time and I'm I'm feeling froggy and trying to close that gap a little bit.
1: I've heard of guys that have really good success actually getting as close to those bedding areas as they can. Yep. And there's one guy in particular. I can't remember his name, but he was on the Wired to Hunt podcast. I don't know, a year and a half ago is when I heard it. I think it was be long before that that he was on. But he he goes in with his saddle system and he will get to 40 yards on a bedded buck and he'll like climb up the tree in his saddle, quiet as can be. He's like, it doesn't matter how long it takes me. Um, and he does it on public land and waits for that buck to stand up. And I'm like, you're a psychopath. Like, how do you how do yeah. you get away with that? Uh, but he also mentions that on public land, he watches all these guys hoofing it like two, three miles back in there. And he's like, I'll set up within a couple hundred yards of the truck. And it's amazing how much pressure going back just funnels those deer right back around to where they're yeah. within sight of the parking lot. And nobody focuses, focuses on that. They think they have to get as far back in as possible in the nastiest stuff. And the deer have learned that over years on public land.
4: Yeah, I've actually heard Caleb talk about that. He's like, don't forget about the couple hundred yards from the trailhead because, you know, there could be a nice buck or a nice bull down in there. I'm like, it makes sense. Like everybody, you know, you're all gun ho when you get to the trailhead and everybody goes storming off. And it can be a bit discouraging if you've hunted public out west with a bunch of folks trying to accomplish the same thing you are. And I've heard Caleb say multiple times, don't forget you know look down that draw that you're walking past you know
3: oh yeah well it's just one of those things right like the the hunting industry as a whole it's, it's got this new fad where everybody's got to be a backpack hunter right so let's drive as far in as we can let's hike our asses off sweat to death uh let's pack 40 pounds on our back and then filter our water for the next 45 days eating 12 repeat or peak refuels right that's a fad nowadays right it's, there's no so many people to do it. and i'm guilty of it i love it But because of that, there's so much pressure in areas that you don't normally see pressure that the closer to the roads, more populated trails, uh, city limits, areas that nobody really wants to hunt now because they want to walk 12 miles, you're seeing a lot of big deer. There was a giant one killed in Colorado last year. Uh, Yeah, it was last year. There's a buck that used to hang out next to the cemetery, and he's like a 280-inch muley. (laughs) And somebody sat on a piece of public land that was like 60 yards wide by a hundred yards long that they could get access into and smoked that buck on public land. <laughs> it, it happens. But I mean, it's just one of those things, right? You don't pass up deer or elk or any animal to find another animal.
1: Yeah. Simple no, as that. I a hundred percent agree with that. We, we've seen that now out in Colorado a bunch. We saw it on this mule deer hunt. We, we were actually, way back in there didn't realize that we could actually drive a vehicle basically the four miles that we hiked back in there and people were just (laughs) driving by left and right and they're like oh yeah there's people up on top they get sedans all the way up there like two-wheel drive (laughs) and we're like oh perfect yeah now we have to hike four miles back to the in a couple hours (laughs) yeah and uh we we talked to a couple different people (laughs) we talked to a couple different people and they're like oh man yeah we were just parked down by the lake the lake that we had parked at And they're like, oh yeah, there was just a buck hanging out right there as we were fly fishing. And I'm like, man, we put a lot of work into this and come to find out they're just hanging out with people as they're catching trout. And, uh, we've seen that in Colorado. I've seen that here in Missouri on public land, walking back my headlamp on at night and I get 50 yards from the truck and I look over and there's deer staring at me and they do, I mean, especially I I'm sure it would be different if it was a brand new chunk of public land. That like the county or the state just bought but when it's been around for years and years the deer pattern the people far better than we do uh far better than we pattern the deer and so they know exactly where they're safe and typically that's by the parking lot
3: i'm 100 percent convinced that every animal out there has got some sort of ability to communicate because i have next to these white-tailed deer all year long and they won't move like i'll walk up and pet one smack it on the ass if I feel like it you know give her a good old one two boy. thank you and now I can't get within 100 yards of them without them running halfway across the continent
1: yeah they makes no sense I, I mean you hear hunters complain about this every year like as soon as season hits it's like every deer read the brochure for that year like <laughs> all right you know September 15th that's when season opens Um, But again, they do get patterned annually, like they have these annual routines that they do. And whether they're conscious of it, they think about it or not, something internally tells them, hey, you need to start being more careful around mid-September. And then luckily, they get super horny and everything goes out the window and, you know, you might catch them slipping up.
4: Unless as a non-resident, I mean, you're put into that box of those those dates you got a window that you gotta i mean that's it that's all you have to work with so like when you're deciding what dates to be out there to chase mule deer like maybe that season's only 15 days long and you you gotta make it work man come hell or high water or whatever the weather has to be or whatever the deer are working with that's that's what you have to deal with
1: for sure do you guys do you guys find yourself ever just on a roll or in a slump where it's like you start out the year strong and you just have that feeling or you end up like connecting with so many big animals or vice versa where you have a rough start to the season and then you like hardly fill any or any freezer space with meat
2: dude i had that i had that my first year bow hunting i uh I had been talking about getting into bow hunting for years and and just never, never had the opportunity to do it. And, and three years ago, um finally got a got a bow, got it all set up, opening day of archery season, was out there on the family farm there in Southwest Virginia and shot a doe opening morning. Couldn't have asked for a better, better, you know situation, 20 yard broadside shot. I mean, just it was it was the kind of shot that just never happens right like it's the kind of shot you practice in your backyard but you don't expect to get and i i uh i shot that doe and i texted luke and our buddy john i was like man but hunting's not that hard y'all been y'all been making it seem a a lot a lot harder than it is all these years i was like what's what's the big deal here and uh hunted probably harder than i ever had you know previously the rest of that season and didn't didn't even get another shot opportunity the rest of the year so (laughs) it 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 happens
1: you got too cocky man that is the hunting gods just cursing you for the things that you said
2: that was it that's what i get for being a smart ass yeah Yeah, last
1: year i had a rough year and so i was like going into this year thinking all right this is going to be it and and i i find that every couple years i'll have a year where i'm like I can't put it together for whatever reason. I don't know if it's like a mental state that I get in and then I'm just not being smart about my choices. But last year was one of those years I was confident leading up to it. And then as the season went on, I'm like, I might not shoot a single thing all season long. And uh, I, well, okay. I say that I shot a doe very early on, but after that, it was just a total strikeout Um, this year i'm i'm really hoping that's changed well i already know it's changed i've already doubled my success rate from last year um but i got a buck and a doe back-to-back nights first two sits of the year and so this is one of those years where i'm
2: like oh this could be the best year of my life let's let's hope so (laughs) just just don't text your buddies how easy hunting from a saddle is because you'll curse yourself Um, yeah oh shoot i wonder if i delete text messages
4: (laughs) (laughs) My granddad used to have this saying when we were fishing, he said, you know, I I would always try to have my first, first pole in the water and catch the first fish and put it on the boat. And he would always say he who shits fast, doesn't shit long. So Dan, I'm just saying, don't get ahead of yourself. Right. You could have, you know, you got your double, right. It may be a good season. You may be tapped out. The the luck may be all used up right there.
1: Oh, dude, don't say that. We, we can't be, (laughs) can I kick you off this call real quick?
4: No, I'm with you, man. That's- I had a, I, I wounded a mule deer in uh, Wyoming last year, which was like one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. And I was definitely in a mental slump after that. And that transitioned over into, you know, the, the rest of the whitetail season here. And then, you know, turkey season. And like, I was like in my own head about it. Cause I just felt sick about it. Anybody's ever lost, lost a deer that you wounded is just like, it's abysmal. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had, you know, I guess to answer your question, something that's really important, I think, to pull yourself out of that slump is, like, a have a good crew of of hunting buddies that, that can pull you out of that that mental funk. I think that's really important. And, you know, I text, Caleb killed a really nice antelope last week, and uh, as soon as I got that picture from him, I was probably happier than he was. I felt like I was over the moon. I was, like, jumping up and down. I was, like, stoked about it. And, like, that's who you need in your corner whenever you're in that, that slump, man, or whenever you'd feel like like you said dan you just i can't put it together and you know i mean i don't really think i'm doing anything different it's just just ain't working out you know um that crew is really important
1: no i could see that for sure like even just seeing the success of other people or getting that encouragement from them or you know like hey dude what have you been hunting what have you been trying where like are you hunting over food are you hunting the woods are you hunting over water um getting pointers even though in those moments that's when you you're like dude just shut up i'm not an idiot i know how to hunt but like just a little bit of encouragement and advice can go a long way when you get in those in those positions uh what do you guys have planned this year because i know everybody's in whitetail season now but do you guys have any other hunts planned or any out-of-state hunts planned
4: i've got one more out-of-state hunt planned Um, i'll be heading to montana in november chase mule deer during the rut which will be totally new experience for me never been to Montana never hunted mule deer in the rut and uh, I'm kind of obsessed with mule deer right now it's like all I can really think about over the last couple years hunting them and I've been successful and I've been unsuccessful so I'm looking for the redemption this time and uh, I'm actually hoping Caleb and I will get to meet face to face for the first time which is a weird sentence uh, have him pop up from Colorado and, and come meet us up there and uh, yeah so that's that's next on my list this could this could be potentially like you said Dan this could be a very good season for me with an axis deer if I could kill a decent whitetail here and then a, a mule deer I don't there's not much else I can ask for so
1: well it sounded like you shit fast so it might not be long <laughs> I did I
4: shot it on the first day dude I knew it. <laughs> I knew, but I heard my granddad in the back of my head. I was like, damn, that Carter, you idiot. (laughs) Could have at least waited till day three, and you know better. Uh,
1: That's awesome. Uh, Caleb, I mean, you've, you've, the nice thing about out West is you have so many big game seasons that you can take part in. Like here in Missouri, we can hunt white tailed deer. And, you know, if you're one of the four or six lucky people to draw, a bear tag or an elk tag, that as well. But out west, I mean, antelope, mule deer, elk, whitetail, potentially moose, mountain goat, bighorn. Then you've got black bear. I mean, it almost seems like it's a never ending list or a never ending season. I was not kidding
3: when I said August 15th through December 31st. Like it, and depending if you get a sheep tag in your pocket, I mean, it could be sooner than that, right? Yeah, It's uh, it's quite the the mecca of hunting, if you will, which is, why like I said, I'm, I'm very lucky with where I live at for that reason. But I mean, we've been hunting hard since August 15th, uh, archery antelope, straight into archery elk, archery deer, straight into uh, first rifle season antelope, which uh, doubled down actually. Me and my buddy, we shot our bucks opening morning, which was right. awesome, right? Like I, I hate antelope with a passion. I've, they're like the bane of my existence. I'm I'll still never
4: understand you cheek. Westerners and your disdain for antelope. I think they're so freaking cool.
1: Yeah, I'm curious Carter. about that because I hear that all the time. You
3: crawl through a quarter mile of cactus and pull it out of your butt cheek by yourself <laughs> and in the mirror for the next month and a half? And I did. I did
4: it. it. And it was awesome. I was pulling out cactus (laughs) deer hunting here in Georgia in November, and I hunted them Uh the month before, and I was like, this is the best. Like, I love it."
1: Dude, that suffering is what makes it so great. Not in the moment, but definitely afterward.
3: Yeah, it's so it, It definitely is
1: fun. I think my favorite part about antelope, though, is the rut.
3: I There are very few animals in the world that just get stupid, right? Deer get dumb. But when you can watch two antelope piss poor mad at each other, running at 100 miles an hour, meeting in the middle of the road, just tearing each other up, not giving a crap about the 18-wheeler rolling by, that is probably one of the coolest things. We actually had that happen uh, that opening day. There was two good bucks, probably in like the 70-inch range, just tearing each other apart in the middle of the road. And you're just sitting there like, I I don't even care at this point. This is so cool. But uh, that is the cool thing about antelope. But I will say that was some of the best heart that I've ever had.
1: I've, I've heard mixed reviews on antelope meat. I haven't had it, never hunted them. Some people are like, dude, it's not good at all. And some people are like, this is the best meat that you'll eat. And uh, I, I'm i excited to try it for myself. But are they so you mentioned how dumb they get. I've seen the videos of these guys walking out there with like a silhouette decoy in front of them or clipped clip to their bow or whatever. Like it. Is that just like the fluke ones that you see on TV or online where it actually works out? Or are they that stupid where you can cross 400 yards of open meadow and walk right up to them? 50-50, right? During the rut, they're a little dumber than, than they
3: normally are. But antelope are curious. So they've got phenomenal eyesight. I mean, there's been times when, you know, I'm braking in my truck and all I hear is a sweat little squeak. And the antelope's a mile away and they turn over and look and then they're 17 miles away in the next country. Uh, it's, it's such a weird animal, but yeah, they, they're very curious, I'd be the way to put that. So sometimes you can get lucky and you can throw the silhouette out there and they're like, I need to come look at it. Great example, my buck this year, his does busted us at like 100 yards, but he never saw us. So when he finally locked eyes, he was curious and he stops and usually they look straight at you. So, I mean, that's the, that's the downfall of him, right, is his curiosity. And if they don't see you or if they don't know what you are, they are going to walk at you. And there's potential. They will walk right up to you seeing that happen. I mean, they're just – they're curious. They're really, really curious. 100%. But they also run 800 miles an hour.
2: Dude, that was, that was the biggest thing that I <clears> – <throat> the biggest difference that I noticed immediately last year in Colorado because that was my first western hunt ever, was that antelope hunt in, in Colorado last year with Luke. And, you know, I'm used to the world of whitetail where you got to be, you know, upwind of them and, you know, they don't have the best eyesight, but they still got pretty damn good eyesight. And, you know, so you're, you're limiting your movement and the deer are so used to using the topography and the cover and the vegetation for their escape routes and, and to hide and so forth. You get out there and it was like, it was mind boggling to me how like cocky these antelope were because they knew at the end of the day. They are the fastest thing out there, period. And if you're not a direct threat to them at that moment, it's like you say, they're curious and they know they've got that, that ace up their sleeve at all times, which is, you know, they can, they can take off and 15 seconds later, they're half a mile away and you're no longer a threat. And so it was like, they don't care about topography. Yeah. They obviously use the wind they've got great noses, but if you're, you know, if you're not posing that immediate threat, they're just like, huh. You know, something's coming towards me, and and I know that if if it gets too close, that I'll leave him. You know, I'll be in the next county over five seconds from now. It was that that just like innate cockiness that they have was was fascinating to me, and just their complete and total disregard for topography. You know, the 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 the, the terrain didn't bother them at all. They'll run up the side of a of a ridge like it's like it's nothing. So man, it was. I, I'm with you, Carter. They're they're cool critters. I, I can't wait to get after them again. And to your to your question, Dan, the, the the first night I got out there to Colorado, uh, getting ready for this antelope hunt, Luke, Luke um, cooked some antelope that he had from from his previous season. He did it on the Traeger, uh, left it real rare, and we did antelope tacos. It's, it had that nice, you know, like hint of sage. Man, they were delicious. They were mm-hmm. they were phenomenal. So, I, as far as I'm concerned, they eat good. Some shredded meat antelope tacos antelope. or venison.
1: Oh. I, I'm i super pumped. I ran out of meat. That does not happen around my house very often. And because I only got that one deer last year, and I still had some from the year before, probably two months ago, two and a half months ago, I opened up my last package of venison steak, and it was the most gut-wrenching feeling or, like, the weirdest thing. Like, slicing, even just slicing into a pack of store-bought hamburger, it just felt... Weird and wrong and like I was being violated. Uh, but I'm going to pick it. up my deer tomorrow from the processor. So I should be good for another six months, maybe.
4: What tags do you have left, Dan?
1: Ooh. Um, so here in Missouri, you can shoot one buck whitetail before rifle season. So you can shoot one early season with your bow. And so I won't be able to shoot another buck until rifle season or like late archery um i've got i think i have 3 more doe tags i can buy extras on top of that uh i go out to colorado for elk i'll probably pick up a concurrent bear tag that's good for while i'm out there um from there i think the next hunt is wisconsin rifle season for whitetail and then i kind of bounce around after that hogs down in texas sandhill crane and waterfowl down in texas nice
4: that's cool um,
1: yeah never done sandhill crane hunting super pumped about that um and let's see i think late no early december actually so in between wisconsin and texas i'm going to go out and try to get a mountain line again um nice. my buddy out there he's like dude just keep coming back man like we'll try to get on one Last year, we didn't get any snow, which makes it very difficult to find fresh tracks. Um, But he's like, dude, late November, early December, there should be snow somewhere in a week time frame. So um, let's see. I got invited down to Florida to hunt pythons and iguanas. Um, (laughs) So
4: uh,
1: we're actually heading down there tomorrow. We're going to head down to Florida tomorrow. Not for that, but we're going to go do some like hurricane disaster relief stuff. Um, but hoping to connect with, with that guy who invited me down there and, uh, try some of that. And then, yeah, we'll see from there. Uh, my 10 year anniversary is coming up though. So I might have to plan a Hawaii trip and, uh, get out there and spearfish and axis and pig and goat and literally whatever they give tags out for.
4: Yeah, man. That's awesome. Congrats on 10 years. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Uh I, I hope I hope I'm actually coming up on ten years. Maybe I'm only coming up on nine. I should probably do the math on that and figure it out. Uh the nice thing is my wife always forgets too, so I'm not in the doghouse. <laughs> there you um go. but yeah, uh I don't I don't know what else we'll add on. You know, whenever we travel, I always like to just pick up hunts here and there if I can. If nothing else, get a small game tag and go kill coyotes somewhere. Uh I want to do that out in the desert or like out in the plains of nebraska or kansas or something i feel like that'd be a lot of fun um and then i think my buddies are heading out to wyoming and doing the non-resident doe antelope tag it's like 49 nice. bucks or something like that yeah. and so yeah. i'm hoping to tag along whenever they do that hunt so That's yeah great. lots of hunts coming up but it's been tough i've been on the road for two months now consistently went out mule deer hunting but i miss a lot of hunts that i normally do don't miss um you know like dove opener that's a religion for us around here yeah didn't get to go out you know i missed a good chunk of the beginning of archery season and then and then early goose early teal like stuff like that is different but when i start thinking okay well maybe i just swapped opener of dove for a sandhill crane hunt i don't feel quite as bad
4: Yeah. Sandhill crane, man. That's, I hope that's everything that you want it to be, man. That sounds incredible.
1: We, we see them all the time. Like we were out in Utah last year, hanging out with some friends and uh, even going up to Wisconsin waterfowl hunting. There's Sandhill cranes everywhere up in Wisconsin, but you can't shoot them, but they, they come in. It's like Jurassic Park, man. The sounds that they make the size. And I'm just really hoping I have a couple back flapping right in my face. That's
3: awesome. That'd be so cool. I've also yep. heard sandhill crane is like the prime rib of the sky when it comes to birds.
1: So I'm kind of curious yeah. to talk to you after that, man. I want to know how good they are. These guys, man, these, th- those boys in Texas, they know how to do things. I mean, he reached out and he's like, Hey, you and a couple buddies want to come down and waterfowl hunt. You want to go sandhill crane hunting. And then at night we'll do thermal hog hunting. And I'm like, <laughs> what? He's like, yeah, I'll make breakfast tacos for you. What's your favorite kind of beer or whiskey? Who's whiskey drinkers? Who's beer?" I'm like, dude, you're joking, right? You're just like, gonna host us and hang out this real life yeah i i'm still like uh i'm gonna get down there and get catfished and abducted by some random dude (laughs) Um, and anyways he's like dude it's gonna be the best hunt of the year he's like my goal is to make this the best hunt of the year that you go on and i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm all in so we'll see. That's why I'm bringing a bunch of guys, and we'll probably roll up guns loaded just in case it's like a weird situation. No. Yeah, cover so your base. You're, you're either gonna end up looking like Walter White, or you're actually gonna have a good hunt. I mean, it could go either way. Yeah, uh, one, one or the other. No big deal. Uh, either way, it'll be an adventure, right? That's right, man.
4: Just be sure to put your Crocs in four wheel drive when you roll up, Dan. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's all about uh race. Well,
1: they're they're down to two. Well, no, I don't know maybe would that be considered three-wheel drive my strap broke off of one of them like full-on busted Uh-oh. off and Uh-oh. so now like I can put one in four-wheel drive yeah I don't know what you would say with that but um, <laughs> my wife's like see I told you you shouldn't buy them they're cheap and they're ugly and there's nothing good about them and I'm like they are the greatest shoe on the planet
4: I mean you're talking to three crop lovers right here so
1: yeah it's great uh before we hop off what's what's next for hunt lift eat what do you guys have planned I mean it sounds like you guys just need to do a get together since you've never met each other in person
4: yeah so Perry and I hopefully will be hunting together this fall and uh hopefully I'll be able to see Caleb in November um as far as hunt lift eat man we have uh I don't know when this is going to come out but uh October well there's no way it comes out before October 15th but October 15th we have a new drop for our fall line um so if you listeners you know shameless plug there if you want to check out our apparel check out that sweet shirt uh dan's wearing right now um we have a lot of cool stuff coming out. and then in november um we have a new fitness challenge coming up actually um i think i can say this i think it's cool i don't i haven't put it on the website yet but um we have a new ruck challenge coming up and uh, all the money that we raise is going to go to uh an organization called Nodens outdoors um and their mission is to help transition special operations soldiers after they retire um, into bow hunting, um, transition them out of the army and use bow hunting as the catalyst for that. Um, and so they teach these special operations uh, guys and gals um, the ins and outs of bow hunting and tracking and how to hunt and uh, really set them up for success uh, with a new um, hobby and passion uh, and, and kind of a purpose after transitioning out. So Noden's Outdoors, if you wanna check them out, they're a really cool organization. and where we're pumped to be working with them so yeah that's what we got going on man i appreciate Dang. you uh letting us drop that
1: absolutely and uh where can people find you where can they follow along where, where can they shop that fall line
4: sure so uh on instagram that's probably the easiest way to uh to find us there so uh it's at hunt lift, eat, official on instagram uh if you want to follow the podcast it's the hunt lift eat podcast on instagram and uh yeah that's where we're at hunt lift, check it out we got some sick stuff and a cool mission so yeah i appreciate it
1: that's awesome well perry caleb carter thank you guys so much for hopping on and uh i'll be following along caleb i do you, okay this is one question i had earlier and i totally forgot i was going to ask it do you guys do any type of competition among among yourselves for like hunting season it's nothing, nothing official there's a lot of shit <laughs> talking. <Officially>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i i understand that well and from the sound of it caleb i mean you just hold the trophy permanently with with yeah. all the stuff you kill uh um, there have to be some ram mr december
3: in the calendars i mean there's a few different things here going for me on this side of it i look really good next to an elk and nothing but my skippies, so it's one of those things mr december in <laughs> the calendar to be honest with you that's really the only competition that's out there anymore nice
1: uh <laughs> Well, good luck the rest of the season. I'm, I'm excited to follow along with the journey, see, see what you guys connect with and, uh, see how your trips go. So thanks for hopping on. Yeah. Thanks,
4: Dan. Thank for you, man. Support, Sounds
1: man. Good. Appreciate it, Dan. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show, man. What an awesome episode with Carter, Caleb and Perry, and I'm really excited for them. And just following along with somebody's journey as they really figure out Western hunting, what that looks like, and then following the journey of somebody who's just a stone cold killer when it comes to Western big game animals. um, It's gonna be really cool. And so I encourage all of you guys to hop on, follow along and do the same. And I'm about to head out for my first Western hunt. I've got like a day and a half about before I head out West to go do a Colorado elk hunt second season. If you guys are listening to this the day that it came out, I will actually be out in Colorado waterfowl hunting. I'm gonna do a waterfowl hunt for one day before I actually get out to, to elk camp. And I've been packing up all day long. I've been getting my stuff together, packing my food, got a new four-wheeler yesterday, which I'm super pumped about. I went to Bass Pro, and they've got their new line of tracker off-road four-wheelers, and so I just found the biggest one they had, and got it, and I've been breaking it in. I'm super excited to have my own ride while I'm out there. Normally I borrow a rig when I'm out western hunting, but now I officially have my own. I got a gun case for it. I am fully set. I also got a wall tent, and a wood stove, and a cot. and. In the past, I've just like bummed stuff off of other people because I would only do like one hunt a year. But in the past few years, I've been doing more and more big game out of state or long term out of state hunts where I need my own setup. I need to have this equipment in order to really be effective. And it doesn't make sense for me to try to borrow stuff all the time. I might as well get it and have it of my own. But enough of me rambling. I'm pumped. I've got more packing to do. I'm sure you guys are either out watching the deer starting to rut more and more. I've had people send me videos and pictures of bucks that they've killed, bucks fighting on the side of the road. Like, it's really about to start hitting. And that's my biggest problem with heading out west right now is the peak of the rut's coming. I mean, it's just around the corner and I'm probably going to miss a big chunk of the whitetail rut. But I already got a buck, and I already got a doe. And you guys are about to hear that story here on a new episode coming up. But follow along. It's going to be fun. And until next time, get out there and chase new adventure.